This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. We will be studying John's Gospel, chapter 4, starting at verse 43, if you want to orient yourself there this morning. John's Gospel, fourth chapter, picking it up at verse 43. And let's start with this question. How is faith built up? I'm going to assume that we don't have all the faith that we're ever going to have when we start in faith and that we actually gain more faith as our Christian life progresses. So how is that faith built up? How does it come to us? How do we get more faith would be a simple way of asking that question. Now, the Apostle Paul would say that it happens when we hear the truth in love. It's Ephesians 4, verse 15, I think. Uh, Both the writer of Hebrews and Peter, another of Christ's apostles, say that faith is built up when we remember the first things of our faith And then we add to them the deeper things of our faith. So we don't leave the elementary things of faith. We add to them. We build on the foundation of good faith. So if you read Hebrews and uh, 2 Peter, you'll see what what we call mixing metaphors. Both talk about drinking milk, but in one it's bad, in the other it's good. The writer of Hebrews says that you should be able to eat meat, but all you can stomach is milk. So that writer is going to start, even though we're not ready for it, feeding us something more solid that we might be nourished in the faith. Now, Peter, again, mixes the metaphor, changes the metaphor, and says that milk is good. It's what newborn babies are fed so that they can grow strong. But the implication, even in Peter's metaphor, is that one day a baby is going to begin eating real food. So, one way our faith is built is by what we know or what we're taught or what we've learned. And then Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, faith comes through the word of Christ. That's number one. How, what do we know of Christ? It will build up our faith to know more and more of him. The second way our faith is built up then is going to come through Christ to us, and that is how his word is delivered to us. First, Christ is called the word of God, so it comes through Christ, and then he's called the word of God in the flesh. And so we need to see Christ, as our faith is built up, not just things about Christ, but he is the object, when he is the object of our faith, a true and real object, not just an idea or a concept, our faith is strengthened even more. Simply put, church, Jesus is real. He isn't just some ethereal idea. He's real. Forever, the Son of God is a person with now a glorified body. And because of that reality, we have the hope that he will one day return 
bodily for the church. We have the hope that now he is present at the right hand of God in heaven, continually interceding for the saints before the Father. Christ isn't a concept. He's real and he's really working right now. And what that means for us now is Jesus is there. It's plenty accurate to say here as well. So we can go to him. It's the second way our faith is built up. It's when we go to Jesus. So the first way our faith is built is when we learn about Christ, when we learn the things of Christ, when we hear the word of Christ. The second is as our faith is built up when we go to Christ who invites us always to come. And what we're going to read from the life of Jesus here in a minute is is an episode where a man knew of Jesus. I think it's fair to say that this man had some faith, but by going to Jesus, his faith is built up all the more. So did you get that? He knew something about Jesus, but by going to him, he gets more faith. He's given more faith. And I think the passage makes all of this obvious, that, that by the end of these verses... This man's belief in Jesus was stronger than it had previously been. So in your Bibles, John's Gospel, 4th chapter, verse 43, let's pick it up there. John is, John's really building something here. If you've been here every week, and if you haven't heard these messages, I encourage you to go back online and to listen to these, because every week in John's Gospel builds on and connects to and enhances the weeks around it. There's all kinds of callbacks this morning is something especially we've previously studied and what we're going to see will bring a greater emphasis to that today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll go back and we'll work through it. I want you to get the whole thing together. So John 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So if you're reading 
in John, just through this gospel, this is going to sound very familiar and really like some place we've already been. And John doesn't just hint at it. He tells us exactly what he means. So for John, for many biblical writers, repetition is a way of calling attention to something, especially when your space is limited to writing, your words are fewer than we have them today on a word processing you know, computer. Repetition calls attention to something. Why has he continually used this word? Why has he continually used this phrase? So look at the front and back end of this. After two days, he departed for Galilee. The two days he spent with people in Samaria after they, many of them believed there. So then he starts in verse 43. After two days, he went from uh, there to Galilee. He departed for Galilee. Now, look at verse 46. So he came to Cana in Galilee. And then it tells us it's where he'd made the water into wine. That's the beginning of John chapter 2. Now go down to the end of what we read today. This was the second sign Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This sounds exactly like chapter 2. John 2, 1. On the third day, he went to a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The end of that episode, verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Why that drumbeat? We have to know why that drumbeat. He came to Cana in Galilee. This is what he did in Galilee. Why Galilee, 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 Galilee? Why why does John just keep telling us where he is and what he's doing? The first sign, the second sign. I think there are two reasons. One is the among the earliest mentions of Galilee in the Bible, all the way back when the Israelites had just come into this land that God had given them, and they began to establish settlements there, they set up Galilee as what was called a city of refuge. Specifically, what would happen is when somebody was accidentally killed, those involved with the death could flee to one of these designated cities where they would be safe to await a fair trial. And the reason is, if somebody was involved in a death, it was common for the family members to take retribution, to make what they thought was justice on their own, and the people needed a law court where justice could be properly adjudicated. And so, what would happen is people would flee to a city of refuge, and they would have almost like a little mini, uh, what we would call almost like kind of an arraignment or something like that, right at the beginning, and they would say, okay, tell me the situation, and if they said there's at least reason to have a trial here, a murder trial, a, a, a manslaughter trial, you can come into the city, we'll protect you, and then we'll let the, the judicial process play out. And if you were found innocent of that murder, it was just, a, it was just an accidental killing of some kind, You wouldn't be able to go home because you wouldn't be safe there, but you could at least live in the city of refuge safely and you would be able to continue your life there. So that's number one. Galilee is where people in need of mercy take refuge. Second, we actually mentioned this back in John chapter 2, is Galilee is in the north. 
when the Israelites were invaded, their homeland was destroyed and they were taken into exile, their enemies came from the north. And in promising them a remnant and a return from that exile, God said through the prophet Isaiah that their redeemer would come along the same route that their enemies attacked from, from the north. It specifically says, through Galilee of the nations. So when you put these together, Galilee is where people went for protection and mercy, and Galilee is where hope comes from. Jesus works in Galilee because people need mercy and people need And he is the one who brings it. So John is going to use this pattern now to tell us about finding protection and mercy and hope in Jesus. What John is doing at each stage early in his gospel is he's taking either one person or a small group of people, and he's showing us something about the nation, something about the surrounding people. And in doing that, he's showing us something about ourselves through these people. And as he tells us these stories, he wants for us, he means for us to find how this speaks to us. How, where are we like these people? So I think it's fair to say for many of us that the man we're reading about, this official shares a lot in common with us. So let's find that. Let's, let's look at how that works. So this man is called an official. Another translation would be a, a nobleman or some kind of a, a royal official. Uh, some scholars believe that he would have been a person in the service of Herod, who is the ruler of this region, isn't technically royalty, but was kind of treated like a king of the area. And so he comes from Capernaum. And that detail is important. Capernaum is about 17 miles away from Cana. Capernaum's on the Sea of Galilee. Cana's up the mountain. So here's the distressing problem now. The man's son is sick, at the point of death, and he asks Jesus to come heal him. And then Jesus responds... But we have, as we study this, some decisions to make based on how Jesus responds and then what comes next. So here's the question we need to ask. Does this man truly believe in Jesus? What are we meant to think about this man's belief in Jesus? Uh, another way of asking that, because of, of where John has made it clear we are to kind of look, the, the direction he's pushing us is, is this man in Galilee, in Cana, to look for a miracle, or has he come to Galilee looking for the merciful one, the deliverer? Is he looking for a miracle, or is he looking for the merciful one? And this is, this is really the central question of these verses. Has this man come for one last-ditch effort or has he come because he believes that Jesus is the one to turn to for healing and grace? And here's my answer. I think he came because he needed a miracle. 
And I think he left having been given two. Let me just say that again. I, I think he came looking for one miracle. But I think he left having been given two. And it's the second that's the greater work of grace. So let me just, I'm going to walk through that. I'm going to explain that. So look at how Jesus initially responds. Kind of, kind of talking to this man, kind of talking to everyone there as a whole by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The clue is in the grammar as to who Jesus is talking to. Uh, at first, John writes that Jesus said to him, meaning the official. But when Jesus actually speaks, when we get the quotation there, he changes to the plural, meaning you all. Unless you all see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. So when he comes to town in, in verse 45, the people who welcome him, they, they, they are coming out to meet him, they are welcoming him, but now we're learning. It was because they had seen what he could do but I don't think they had truly seen who he was. They welcomed him, but more by intrigue, more by nearness to power than because they were truly understanding who it was that was among them. But then something happens. Look at very quickly, there's a shift here. This man, royal official, nobleman, but now he's none of these things. He's got kind of a dignified title, but now he's just a dad. So he says, come, come down before my child dies. And I think what we're being told right here in this moment is this is a gift of God that, that at least for this time, this man got it. I think what we see is he understood. I think what happened is he had come to Jesus looking for that miracle, but what he was going to receive from Jesus was a revelation of God's grace. And the reason I think that is because Jesus looked at him and he healed his son. So let's, let's not let two things pass us by quickly, too quickly. Number one, let's see in this that Jesus is powerful. He doesn't even need to go to Capernaum. He just healed a boy from Cana. Second, Jesus is compassionate here. Let us always remember the compassionate kind-heartedness of Jesus. This man has a long way to go in his discipleship. Uh, he doesn't have a well-defined Christology. Uh, if you asked him, you know, how could Jesus be God in the flesh, he would probably just say, what? But Jesus saw him. He had mercy on him. And he granted what he was asking for. And now look how the man goes away. This is the key. This is the key to the whole thing right here. He believed what Jesus had said. There's more there than a healing. I believe there's more there than just the son being made well. And I know that because it says twice he believed and then it says then his whole household believed. 
And we'll get into this. We'll unpack this. Maybe his wife, maybe his other children. He probably was wealthy enough to have servants who had been considered part of the household, and they all believed. So God is doing a work in this man that led to not just the healing of his son, but something that kind of had a ripple effect in this man's life. So this, this is a great work of God. And this is often how faith is built. First, for any of us to have any faith at all, it is a gift from God. Two chapters from now, Jesus will say, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's John 6, 44. At the beginning of 2 Peter, the apostle there writes that faith is obtained by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to you is a gift of God's grace. So in other words, faith isn't what we search out and find. We're not looking for faith. Faith is what we are given as we are merely going along our oblivious way without any recognition of what we need. And then God does something. Usually he uses some means to open our eyes and then he gives faith. Ephesians 2.8 is the clearest place to see this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, so when I say that that happens through some means, that our faith comes through some means, I'm not confused about how it comes. It comes from God. That's where it starts. That's where it originates. What I mean is that God usually uses something, someone, to lead you to faith. I do this often as a pastor, just ask people, how have you come to faith? And almost always, it's a, a trusted person shared the good news of Jesus with me, and I came to believe in him. God used a person to enact the miracle of faith. Other people will say I was at a low point. I was in desperation like this man. I didn't have anywhere else to turn, and I cried out, and God gave me hope, and I began to believe in him. So God uses the desperation of people to bring them to faith. It's his grace that gives us faith. Uh, one of the things that I pray for my own kids is just that by the grace of having Christian parents, they will have young and early faith in Christ and they will know and grow in his word. So that's how faith starts. It's the gift of God. You have it because God gives it. But then this is how many, many of our stories go. Some most stories of faith goes. We have some faith. But then there are things that happen. Again, maybe it's, it's a time of desperation. We walk through significant times of uncertainty. There, there are times where we're just acutely aware of our own limitations. And if we're wise, we cry out to God to meet us there. And in his grace and in his loving kindness, like Jesus ministered to this man, God ministers to us there. And he uses it to build our faith. Sometimes we cry out to God and he makes a way when we don't know how a way will come. And sometimes we do have to walk through the difficulty. We have to walk through the thing that we're actually asking to be delivered from. But God still is gracious to us and he meets us there and he walks through it with us and, and 
Hopefully we come out the other side of that wondering how we could, how we would have ever possibly done it without him. Church, the truth is having our faith built up is rarely easy. We simply don't grow in faith when everything is good and things are simple and life is uncomplicated and it's just one good day after the next. That's not how we grow in faith. Uh, I've been growing through this myself kind of the, the past six months, even, even in a fresh way, just this past week. There are times when I want immediate answers and when I want to be in control and, and I want to decide the outcome. But folks, that's not faith. That's not Faith. I, I've been thinking a lot this past week about how Hebrews describes faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of th- the conviction of things not seen. So there's great joy. The word assurance is even in there. But listen to what else is in there. If I had all the answers, it wouldn't be faith. There has to be things about what I'm walking through that I can't see. Otherwise, it's not faith. But here's also the truth. If it's not faith, he wouldn't be God either. I would be. If I get to make all the decisions, that sounds easier. It sounds better, honestly, to me, because then I know things turn out the way that I want them to. But honestly, that's only in the short term, and ultimately, that's idolatry. If I get to make all the decisions, it's idolatry. Because if if it goes that way, if I I try to force it that way, I'm trying to be God. I'm not worshiping him as God. For us to have faith, we have to be sure, or we we can be sure that God is who he says he is, but we have to believe in a lot of things that we're not going to be able to see. We have to hope in a lot of things that we have no control over. That's how faith is built. And it's almost never easy. Faith usually is built through hardship. The last verse says this was the second sign that Jesus did when he came to Galilee. After the first sign, it says that the disciples began to believe. Uh, now this man and his, even his family believe. So God gives the signs that lead to faith, build faith. Uh, our faith shouldn't be in the signs. It should be in the sign doer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when our faith is built up, let us not look for the miracles. Let us look for the God of the miracles. Let us look for the one who does the signs. If our faith is just in the signs, it's going to be awfully shallow because we're going to need another sign. We're always going to want and desire another sign. Only the sign doer can ultimately satisfy. So what we need to ask then, what our our question needs to be out of this, remember this is the key, is what did this man believe? What was it that he was believing? What changed between the first question he asked in Jesus' answer and then the second statement he made to Jesus and how Jesus responded then? 
So look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, your son will live. And the man believed. What does that word, that's the key. What does that word mean? He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. So out of that, we we get at least this. We get at least this. An amount of confidence this man had in what Jesus said. We know that because he believed and he left. In the first time he spoke to Jesus, he was told he didn't have the right kind of belief. That's now changed. And then we get this little detail. This little detail unlocks just how different the man's belief was from one moment to the next. When he's going back to Capernaum, look at, the, look at toward the end. He's met by one of his servants, tells him his son is healed. We read this. And then he asked when. And the man says, yesterday at the seventh hour. Which the official This man then connects to the exact time that Jesus had spoken. All right, let's do some math. The seventh hour is 1 p.m., okay? First hour is 6 a.m., seventh hour is 1 p.m. Capernaum is 17 miles or so from Cana. This man was surely wealthy enough to have an animal to ride on. You can do, just an average person can do about three miles an hour walking. Just kind of a walk will take you three miles an hour. I I don't think it's a stretch to say at all he could have done at least five miles an hour riding. That probably puts him home. If he leaves right then for home, it probably puts him home, I mean, even kind of generously, what, 5, 6 p.m. at the latest? That's not a dangerous time of day. He's just traveling through the afternoon. It's not a dangerous part of the time to travel. Uh, in this part of the world, it's close to the equator. The sun doesn't go down ever before that point in the day. His son has been at the point of, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm building here. His son has been at the point of death, but he waits until the next day to go home. He doesn't even leave at first light the next day. We, if, if he would have left at first light, he probably would have been home you know, 11 a.m., noon, something like that, but he's still traveling. He still meets the servant at one o'clock in the afternoon. He didn't even leave the next morning. Why? Why? I have no idea. When, when, When Jesus tells him that his son would be healed, I mean, I'm a dad. If, if I had a child that was close to the point of death and I thought there was a possibility, if I was out searching for their healing in some way and I thought they were being healed, the first thing I would do is just get home absolutely as quickly as possible to see my child. This man doesn't even rush back home. Here's the only conclusion I'm left with in this. This man just had such a confidence, such a belief, such a faith, that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do, that the situation didn't even seem dire to him after that. It just seemed settled. Okay, my boy's gonna... Whatever happened in that moment, he looked at Jesus and he heard Jesus and he just said, okay, it's going to be okay. It had to be in who Jesus was. He'd seen Jesus, he'd heard Jesus, and he believed Jesus. Romans 4 says that the father of the the Jewish nation, Abraham, believed the promises of God and his belief was counted to him as righteousness. 
Then, Romans 4 says, it grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. That's how this man's faith was strengthened that day. He glorifies God in such a way that his whole household begins to believe. So he went home and surely, I mean, this is, we know this just right here from these words. He shared with his wife, I've met Jesus. This is what he said to me and this is what he's done. And she said, well, we have to believe in this Jesus then. We we have to believe in him. And then he told, I don't know, maybe other children. And then they began to believe in him. And he told his servants who he met on the road and maybe other servants. It said one of his servants. He's more, multiple servants. And they began to believe. He began, his faith grew, Abraham's did, when he gave glory to God. Now listen to what the rest of Romans 4 goes on to say. But the words, it was counted to him. This is Romans 4 picking up at verse 22. It was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead as Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I don't think this man knew that day how to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead as Lord. I don't think he had a a built-out theology of that. I don't think he had some fully formed idea of what the atonement and the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross and at the crucifixion was going to mean for him. Either that came later for him in his life, or I think what we're getting here is it was credited to him in this way at his death. But these things were written for us too. We have them. We have his testimony. We have this testimony. We have John's testimony in the gospel. We know these truths. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know these truths. So we ask, what did this man believe? I don't know how to answer that question with any detail except to say he looked at Jesus, saw him, heard him, and he believed something in a profound way that changed his life forever and turned him into a worshiping disciple of Jesus. For us, by God's grace, we have so much more. We know so much more of him. To believe in Jesus for us is to believe that God raised him from the dead and now to follow him as our Lord. That's what it says in in Romans 4. The way you have life is to know that Jesus gave his life up for you. He took the place of sinners on the cross so that God could judge justly the guilt of sin and give graciously pardon to you from it. Christ was judged in your place so that you might receive his righteousness. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. That's where faith starts, to believe those things. And what about growing faith now? How is our faith built? How how does it grow? At some point it, it starts... But then it it must develop. And and that development comes from belief in the word of God and in Jesus Christ. It comes from the words of God that we believe by faith are are recorded in, in Holy Scripture for us. At points when your faith feels small, when you feel like it's under siege and it's buckling, start by reciting the promises of God in Scripture. 
pray them out loud. Pray them out loud. And after you've prayed that way, pray and ask God for help. A great place to start in saying, God, I need to have my faith built is, is reading Romans 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who shall indeed, who, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The, the rhetorical answer is no. And all these things, Paul says, we're, we're more than conquerors. So, so this is something I've been walking through. You have to know that I don't stand up here as somebody who has this all figured out, but I can tell you these, these habits, these practices help. Faith is usually grown in a crucible, not on a level plane, not in a soft, dewy meadow. It's the way that God grows faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.8 says that God will confirm and preserve Christians all the way to the end. The way he does that is going to be by grace through faith, and it's all a gift. It's all his work in us. And so faith comes and is continued and built actually in the same way. It comes by hearing the word of Christ hearing the testimony about him, and then secondly, knowing that he is real and gazing upon, looking into, going to the person of Christ, hearing the word of Christ and going to the person of Christ. And that's the same way it's built. That's how it comes initially. It's also the same way it's built. Recite, go to the word of Christ and look upon him greatest thing that God will ever do is send his son in the flesh, live a sinless life, die an unjust death, rise victoriously, and ascend bodily to sit at the right hand of the Father because we know that he's real. Jesus, again, he's not just some concept. He's, he's not a warm idea. He's a real living Savior. And he is there now for us to hear from and to go to. Let's pray together. God of all glory, we thank you that you have worked the miracle of faith in our hearts and in our minds and that you have built up our faith by your grace through those same means as we hear the word of Christ as we go to him our faith is built up
I pray specifically for those who feel this morning as though their faith is weak. Mine included. I pray that you will strengthen it through the words of Christ. Pray that we will take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, putting on the full armor of Christ, that we would be shielded against fiery darts from those evil forces that would dissuade us away from Christ. And I pray that we would believe that nothing will separate us in all of creation from the love of God in Christ Jesus, for that is a true and sure and steady promise. Thank you for our belief in Christ. It is a gift from you. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at os.efc.org.